like to ask you to open your Bibles with me to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. I want to express my appreciation to Dr. Patterson for the opportunity to preach this morning in chapel. It's a great honor to be part of the faculty here at Southwestern and a real privilege to be able to open the word of God with you this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. As you know, this year marks the 500-year anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. The Reformers began a recovery of the authority of Scripture alone and a recovery of the pure gospel, justification by faith alone, through Christ alone, by faith, uh, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. By the way, on October 24th, the Southwestern Master Chorale and Southwestern Singers are going to be having a musical celebration of these five solas. We hope you will uh, come to that. It'll be a great opportunity to rejoice in the legacy of these important doctrines. And so I hope you'll put October 24th on your calendar and plan to come. But not only did the Reformation begin a recovery of Scripture and a recovery of the gospel, it also began a recovery of pure biblical worship. The Reformers began to lead others to go back to the Scriptures to discern what the Bible says about worship. And yet, although we may consider a recovery of the gospel and a recovery of true worship to be two separate benefits of the Reformation, I think it's important to recognize the essential connection between the two. And I think there's perhaps no better passage in the scriptures that helps us to understand the connection between the gospel and worship than here in Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to begin reading this morning in verse 19. We'll read down verse 25, and then we'll spend a few moments in the text this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, we find three admonitions that are introduced by this phrase, let us. Let us draw near, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And it's the first of these commands to which I'd like to draw our attention for just a few moments this morning. Let us draw near. This idea of drawing near is really an important focus of the entire book of Hebrews. And you can see that by its presence in the major literary climaxes of the book. Hebrews seems to have three primary literary climaxes. And in each of these points, we find this emphasis on drawing near. Here in chapter 10, we find the second of these climaxes. In chapter 4, verse 16, we find, let us then with confidence draw near, that's the same term translated draw near in chapter 10, proserkomai, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
And then in the final climax of the book, in chapter 12, we find in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that phrase, you have come, is a translation of the same underlying term in our text, proserkomai, you have drawn near. And not only does that idea appear in the major literary climaxes, it appears all throughout the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7, verse 25, chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 6, all focus our attention on the call to draw near to God, the basis for drawing near to God, and the means for drawing near. This this concept of drawing near to God is an important focus of the entire book of Hebrews. So what then does this mean? What does it mean to draw near? Well, this word proserkomai is a term that means more than just a casual coming near towards something. Instead, it's used exclusively for coming near to the presence of God himself. And we can see that by how it's used throughout the book. We find commands to draw near to God, draw near to the throne of grace. And here in our text, verse 19 implies that we are to draw near to the holy place. So it's clear that this, that this drawing near is an entrance into the very presence of God himself. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the author compares this idea of drawing near to God to Old Testament worship practices. In fact, they're here in our text as well. In verse 19, the holy place to which we are to draw near is the holy place in the temple. We find other temple terms in this text too, like the veil and high priest and washing and sprinkling. These each connote Old Testament worship pictures. In other words, drawing near to God is what the author of Hebrews defines as the essence of worship. This concept of drawing near to God in worship really permeates the whole storyline of Scripture. It's what Adam and Eve enjoyed as they walked with God in the cool of the garden. It's what we find in Exodus chapter 19, where Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God at the foot of Mount Sinai. It's what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 100, when he commands, come into his presence with singing and into his courts with praise. This is what Isaiah experienced when he entered the very throne room of God and saw God high and lifted up in all of his splendor and his glory. To draw near to God is to enter his very presence. It's to bask in his glory, to have perfect communion fellowship with God. To draw near in this way is the essence of what it means to worship God. And this is what God calls us to do. God calls us to draw near to him. We don't draw near to God in worship of our own initiative or of our own merit. We draw near because God himself has commanded and invited us to draw near to him in worship. But any reader of this invitation in Hebrews chapter 10 to draw near to God would have immediately recognized its inherent problem. This God to whom we are to draw near is holy. He's just He's righteous. He cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And yet, we, who are supposed to draw near to him, we are sinners. How can we draw near to the presence of God? The fall of mankind into sin destroyed the possibility of drawing near to God in worship. After Adam and Eve sinned, they no longer enjoyed the privilege of walking in communion with God in the garden. 
Instead, they they hid themselves in fear and they desperately tried to cover their guilt with leaves. And ever since that time, anybody who attempts to draw near to the presence of God results in a profound recognition of unworthiness and guilt. The Israelites experienced this when they drew near to the foot of Mount Sinai. When they saw God in all of his splendor and and white-hot holiness up there on the mountain, they trembled in fear. They begged God to stop speaking, and they, they pleaded with Moses to go on their behalf. This is the reason that although God inhabited the holy place in the, in the temple, no human could actually enter the presence of God except for the high priest, and that only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. This is what Isaiah experienced. When he saw God high and lifted up in all of his holiness, he immediately responded with, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The problem with the command in Hebrews chapter 10 is that we have no right to draw near to God in worship. We do not have access to him because of our sinfulness. The only way that God enabled people to partially draw near to him in the Old Testament was through temporary sacrifices. And even then, there were barriers keeping people from the presence of God. There's a veil that that protects the, the holy place and only the high priest could enter once a year. And we know what happens when you even touch the symbol of God's presence, the ark. Remember what happened to Uzzah? Even Psalm 100 calls people to come only into the outer courts of the temple, not actually into the very presence of God in the holy place. In fact, we have in the Old Testament an account of a man who dared to enter the holy place even though he had no right to do so. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 records the reign of King Uzziah. For the most part, King Uzziah was a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and God rewarded him with many military victories. But 2 Chronicles tells us that when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Here was a good man, a righteous man, a leader of God's people whom God himself had blessed. And even he had no right to enter the presence of God. And yet he did. He entered the holy place. He began to offer incense on the altar of incense. And the priests ran in and they begged him to leave. They said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. But he grew angry, and he continued to offer incense. And we're told that while he stood in the sanctuary before the altar, and while he still had that censer of incense in his hand, leprosy suddenly broke out across his forehead. And the priests drug him bodily out of the sanctuary as quickly as they could. It was clear that the Lord had struck him for having dared enter his presence in such a presumptuous way. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Really, it was an act of mercy that God didn't kill him on the spot. Others in scripture have died for such boldness before God. 
The point is this. We cannot obey the command in Hebrews chapter 10. God commands us to draw near, but this entering into the presence of the Lord is not possible for sinners. But our text provides for us the solution. We find this solution through two clauses in the text. The first is found in verse 19. The text reads, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, draw near. This term translated confidence is the idea of free expression that is only possible when you have open access to someone. So this text is directly addressing our problem. God commands us to draw near to him because of sin. We don't have that kind of access, but this verse tells us that we do have this kind of access. Such access is possible. It is possible to enter the holy place of God's presence. Here's the first term in our text that's meant to conjure up images of Old Testament worship. This holy place was that most sacred of places in the temple. As you know, in the Old Testament, there are several barriers keeping people from entrance into the holy place. There's the outer wall that separates the court of the temple. There's the wall of the temple itself. And then there's the veil that hid the holy place. And in each successive stage, fewer and fewer people were allowed to draw near to the presence of God. No Jew would have ever considered entering the holy place. They knew what had happened when Uzziah did that without the right. In fact, even today in Jerusalem, there's a sign at the Temple Mount that forbids Jews from entering that area because they don't know for sure where the holy place is. Even today, Jews are fearful of drawing near to the presence of God. They know that they're not worthy to be in the presence of a holy God. But this verse tells us that we have access not just to the outer court, not just to the entrance of the temple, but beyond the veil into the very presence of God himself. How can this be? We'll keep reading. By the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Entrance to God is possible through a sacrifice. And this is no ordinary sacrifice. This is the vicarious substitutionary atonement of the son of God himself. At the beginning of Hebrews 10, the author had said that the animal sacrifices were insufficient. He said, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The animal sacrifices couldn't do that. But this sacrifice can perfect those who draw near. This Jesus is fully man and thus he can stand in our place. And he is fully God and therefore he can satisfy the punishment to an eternal holy God that no normal human could do. And because of the perfection and eternality of this sacrifice, it need not offered day day after day after day to atone for sin. This sacrifice was offered one time and the complete wrath of God was fully appeased. This is what God pictured when he slew that animal in the garden and covered Adam and Eve's guilt. This is what was pictured when Moses offered a sacrifice at the foot of Mount Sinai so that the elders of the people could approach God at the mountain. 
This is what was pictured each year in Israel on the Day of Atonement when a, a sacrifice would be offered and the high priest would take some of the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. This is what was pictured when the seraph took the burning coal from the altar and placed it on Isaiah's lips and said, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And this is pictured perhaps no more beautifully than what happened at the moment of the crucifixion. The gospel accounts tell us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And at that exact moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two as if that veil were the flesh of the son of God himself separating sinful man from the presence of God. And that access that had been lost at the fall was now restored. There is now a new and living way to God. And that way is his son. This phrase, new and living way, I think paints a beautiful picture as well. The word translated new here is not the typical word you would use to describe a new coach or a new uh, robe. It's a word that, that originally literally meant freshly slaughtered. He was freshly slaughtered and yet he is living. Christ rose from the dead, having defeated sin and death. And now we have access to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a freshly slaughtered and yet living way. Therefore, draw near. But there's another reason in our text that explains to us how we have access to God. And that's found in verse 21. It reads, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God... Let us draw near. In the Old Testament economy, the only person allowed to actually enter the presence of God was the high priest and only one day a year. But this verse tells us that not only is Jesus the perfect sacrifice that enables us to draw near to God, he is also the high priest who offers the sacrifice. He is priest and victim. And now because of our relationship to this great high priest, because we are in him, we can draw near to God in worship. Hebrews 7.25 emphasizes this fact that it's Christ's high priestly ministry of intercession that makes this possible. The author said, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So God commands us to draw near to him in worship, but because of our sinful condition, the only way that is possible is through the shed blood of Christ on our behalf and through Christ's high priestly ministry. Jesus Christ is the only basis for drawing near to God in worship. But our text doesn't only explain to us the basis for drawing near to God in worship. It also explains to us the means by which we draw near to God. The text commands us in verse 22 to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The basis for drawing near to God is the sacrifice of Christ. But the means of drawing near is sincerity and faith in Christ. True here in the text literally means real or genuine or sincere. God doesn't want people to draw near to him in worship out of duty or habit. He wants those who will draw near out of sincerity and a deep longing for communion with him. 
So we are to draw near with, with a sincere heart, but that's not enough. We are, according to the text, also to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Faith is absolutely necessary in order to draw near to God. And and understanding the nature of faith is very important for understanding the essence and nature of Christian worship. Of course, we need look no further than the book of Hebrews itself for the clearest definition of what faith is. Faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Later in verse 6, the author emphasizes the need for faith if we want to draw near to God and worship. He said, and without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the essence of faith. It is belief, conviction in something that we cannot see. And this is important for worship. Because this God to whom we are drawing near in worship is one that we don't see with our physical eyes right now. We can't touch him. We can't feel him. We don't experience God with with our physical senses in this life. And so the only means to approach God when we cannot see him is through faith. Through full assurance that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. With full assurance in his promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. The only way that we can have confidence that when we draw near to God through Christ, we are actually in his presence. The only way we can have confidence of that is by faith. Drawing near to God through Christ and faith means that we don't depend upon anything external to prove that we are in the presence of God. To worship in faith means that we don't define worship by any physical experience or feeling or other tangible proof. To worship in faith means that we believe in the sufficiency of Christ's death on our behalf to gain us acceptance into God's presence. It means that we follow the word of God for how he wants us to draw near to him through the preaching of the word and through the singing of the word and through the reading of the word. It means that we simply trust that when we follow God's, God's instructions in his word, when we draw near through Christ by faith, we are actually in God's presence. Worship is not tied to any specific location or ritual or ceremony or event or feeling. Worship is simply a spiritual drawing near to God through Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we must have full assurance of faith. But you see, this might have been somewhat difficult for the Hebrew converts to Christianity that the author is addressing. As Jews, when they thought of worship, they thought of it in terms of temple and animal sacrifices and ceremonies Worship has always been at its essence a heart response to God by faith. But in the Old Testament, when the veil of separation between men and the presence of God was still intact, worship was tied to a particular place, the temple, in a particular city. It was tied to sacrifices and the law and visible expressions. But once Christ came, Once God in flesh drew near to his people, once Jesus himself became the sacrifice and the veil of separation was torn in two, worship was no longer tied to a visible physical expression. 
Christ said to himself in John 4 when he said, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. That's something immaterial and truth. Something similar, I think, is expressed in the final climax of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. The author says in chapter 12, verse 18, for you, you Christians, you have not come And that word come is a translation of the same term in Hebrews 10, proserkomai. You have not come, you have not drawn near to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. You see, the author is is here using Mount Sinai as a representative uh, example of worship in the Old Testament. Notice notice how the author describes worship in the Old Testament. It's very physical. It can be touched. There are visual sensations, burning fire and darkness and gloom and storm. It has oral sensations, the sound of a trumpet blast and actual words of God spoken himself. In other words, Old Testament worship was very visible, very sensory. This is what we naturally think of when we think about worship in the Old Testament. There's a a beautiful temple in Jerusalem that shone brightly. There's incense and burnt offerings. You could literally smell this worship. There's priestly adornments and gold and fine linens. You could see this worship. You actually had to lay your hand on the animal. And in some circumstances, you'd be given meat from the animal to eat. You could feel this worship. You could taste this worship. It was all very physical and sensory. It created an experience of the senses that permeated the whole being. This was a frightening experience, according to the text. But in some ways, perhaps it felt a little bit more real, more concrete. I can sort of resonate with this. A number of years ago, I preached at a church in the Orlando area And the pastor took me to something called the Holy Land Experience, sort of a Bible-themed amusement park. They have a a replica of the city of, of Jerusalem and a Bible manuscript museum. And one of the things they have there is a life size replica of the tabernacle. So you can go and you can see it. They talk about it for a while. And then they actually did a live reenactment of what the Day of Atonement would have looked like complete with fake sacrifices and the burning of incense and actual fire coming down from heaven to consume the, consume the sacrifice. It was very exciting. I got goosebumps. It, it felt religious. I can see how the Jews would have wanted that sort of thing. It felt spiritual. It felt like worship. You could almost feel the presence of God through these earthly physical means. But the author of Hebrews says that now because of Christ, you have not drawn near to that mountain that can be touched. But rather in verse 22, but you have drawn near to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Worship is no longer tied to an earthly, physical location. Now, because of Christ, because he is our sacrifice, because he is our high priest, and because we are in him, we can actually worship through him in the heavenly temple itself. Not yet physically. One day faith will be sight when the trumpet sounds. 
but spiritually, positionally. You see, when we worship, we don't call God down to us. Rather, when we worship, he calls us up to him to join with the heavenly angels and saints who've gone before as they praise him day and night. And this is why faith is necessary to draw near to God in worship. The text tells us that we can actually worship in heaven, but we don't see that. We don't feel that. We don't smell that. But it is true, and we must trust that it is so. But this kind of drawing near to God by faith can even be difficult for us today, can't it? We're physical beings. We want physical proof. We want to be able to point to something, whether it's a ritual or a place or a ceremony or a tradition or or a feeling. We want to be able to point to something and say, that's worship. And so when we attempt to obey this command to draw near to God and nothing happens, we begin to doubt. Am Am I really in the presence of God? Have I really drawn near to him? Am I really worshiping? And then we end up needing other things to give us confidence. Whether it be a certain kind of music or an atmosphere that creates a certain aura or a particular place or a particular tradition. And if we don't have that thing to give us confidence, then we really don't feel like we're worshiping. But the author in chapter 10 commands us to draw near to God with full assurance of faith in things that we don't experience with the physical senses. That's the definition of faith. The point is this, if we cannot draw near to God in worship with nothing more than faith in Jesus Christ, then perhaps we're not worshiping at all. Certainly there will be physical feelings. We're physical beings. God has created us that way. There's nothing wrong with that. But as Christians, we do not define worship by those physical externals. As Christians, we worship through Christ by faith and not by sight. We worship by faith and not by feeling. But finally, drawing near to God through Christ by faith can often be difficult for us today because of guilt. Any one of us who is genuinely honest acknowledges that even as children of God, when we consider the prospect of drawing near to the presence of God, we know we are not worthy. I mean, even just this morning, You may have snapped at your children or ridiculed your wife or broken the speed limit or had a demeaning thought about someone in this room. How dare you think you can just waltz in here and draw near to the presence of a holy God? Who do you think you are? Verse 22 tells you who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, you are one who has had your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. These expressions are flavored with Old Testament purification ideas. Your your guilty conscience has been cleansed. Your filthy, sinful flesh has been washed. This gives you assurance that no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, even five minutes ago, if you are in Christ, then you have every right to enter the presence of God through him and because of him. God accepts you as his own. 
We can sing with Charles Wesley, arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears. A bleeding sacrifice in your behalf appears. This is why it is so important that whenever we draw near to worship the God of holiness, we must acknowledge our unworthiness to be in God's presence and confess our sins to him. But then we hear a clear proclamation of the gospel in Christ, your sins are forgiven. The Lord be praised. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I am a sinner, but because of the blood of Jesus, because of the new and living way that he opened for me through his flesh, because he is my great high priest, I have confidence to enter his presence in worship. Do you? If not, God invites you to draw near to him through the sacrifice of his son on your behalf by faith. Trust Christ He is the only way to God. You see, worship is possible only through the gospel. And the purpose and end of the gospel is worship. Can we pray together? Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge to you this morning that we are sinners who are unworthy to enter your presence. But we praise you today that through the blood of your son, you have opened a new and living way that enables us to come boldly into your presence, to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve, joining our voices with the angels who are even now giving you praise. Let us always be faithful to draw near to you through Christ by faith. And help us to boldly gather more worshipers through the proclamation of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.